This is Michael Melfi, and welcome to the Be Investable podcast. Since late 2015, I have had the opportunity to host a pair of amazing programs called The Truck Talk and Be Investable, both on the Michigan Business Network. I invite you to please enjoy some of my legacy content I was able to create while being a host on that network. What you are listening to are some of the engaging conversations I've had with entrepreneurs and with innovative individuals from across the United States and in fact the world. They took the time to share their insights about what it means to be investable. Well, welcome back, listeners, to another show of Be Investable. We're on the Michigan Business Network, and today I am excited to have Ben Coglitton. He is the CEO of Olar Live Chat with us today on the show. Ben, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks for having me. Happy to be and, here. And awesome. And, and to kind of connect the dots, you know, if people do a search, they're going to look and see you're out on the West Coast, and you have some ties back here to Michigan. Is that correct? Yeah, that's right. I spent three years in Michigan. I actually uh, was working on a PhD at the School of Information at the University of Michigan for three years and have a lot of fond memories of Ann Arbor. We actually have a branch office in Ann Arbor, our only office with a physical location. So uh, very, very strong Michigan ties. In fact, right now, this week, our entire team is in Michigan and Traverse City for our annual retreat. So uh, a lot of, lot of Michigan connections in our, in our company. That that is great. We we should have done the we should have done the podcast up there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I had I had to miss it, but I did. Uh, I got uh, Zingerman to ship up a bunch of goodies and uh, someone to go talk about you know how Zingerman's built as a company as a sort of a fun surprise for people. So it's pretty it's pretty neat. Zingerman's has some deal where you could buy the one of everything on sale deal and get yeah. an early Zingerman's employee to deliver it, and it's the kind of thing that no one ever buys. But I decided just to do it because I was going to miss a retreat to kind of uh, create that create is, an experience for people. It was pretty fun. <laughs> that, that, is, that is so it's so cool. And if, yeah, I can already tell just from that comment. You also made a comment that actually Ann Arbor is your only physical office, so a lot of what you do is virtual. Correct? That, that's correct. Yeah, we're uh, we're a distributed company. We have people all around the U.S., uh, international as well. People in New York City, people in uh, Portland, Oregon, Denver area. For a while, we had a guy in Montana. Uh, just people are spread out all around the country. That's right. And how, how does how does getting a PhD in Michigan convert into a easy to use live chat software company that's all <laughs> virtually all around the country? <laughs> yeah, I mean that's that's a, that's a really long story that I could probably tell for I don't know. We could do a whole series of podcasts on that. <laughs> but the the short the short the shortest possible way of telling the story is. Um, uh, I uh, I had run a web hosting company when I was in high school and uh, realized how important that connection with your customers could be. And if you think about it, like everyone who comes to your website is someone who's interested in your product who could be a potential customer. So if you're like a physical physical store and you're moving online and you get rid of that human touch, you're missing out on all those opportunities to help all the people that are there, like looking at your wares, curious about uh, you know, if you have something that will solve their problem. And so, uh, you know, while doing my PhD at Michigan, uh, I, I had a consulting company on the side and uh, I was running this web hosting company that we founded back in high school. And it, uh, and it came this moment in time when we were kind of, where we had launched this free product 
uh, this free live chat product on the side, and it was starting to gain steam, and I had to make the decision to sort of stick with the PhD program or to leave the program and move out to uh, California and go through an incubator program. And so it was one of the hardest decisions of my life. It really, uh, you know, shifted the course of my uh, of my existence. Uh, but at the time, I decided, like, hey, I could always go back and finish the PhD. Uh, really enjoyed it. I had a lot of really good friends there, really great uh, advisor. Um, or I could just, you know, jump ship and, you know, go to go to California and try to make this thing real. And so I decided at the time, like, hey, uh, what better time in my life to go try to take this idea and turn it into a real thing. And um, that's how we ended up out in California. We went through a program called Y Combinator, uh, which at the time uh, not very many people had heard of. This was back in 2009 and has now become a lot more famous and they give you a lot more money than, <laughs> than back when we went through it. But, uh, uh, yeah, it was a really, really great experience. And, uh, built the company bootstrapped on a $85,000 of friends, family, and fool money. And uh, uh, here we are today. I, I love the story. And you're, you're absolutely right. When you say Y Combinator today, everyone's like, wow, that is amazing, which, which it is. And, and just to have that opportunity to take part in such an amazing program such as that. I, I would ask you, we all know that being an entrepreneur and the, and the journey can be challenging. Is, is there any one moment that you found to be the most challenging? Was there one moment that was like the defining moment for you, any obstacle or challenge as you were going through this journey? You know what? I am like an incredibly resilient person, and I get asked that question all the time, and I have like the hardest time answering it because for me, there's, there's you know, there's the silver lining in every single situation. There's like positive uh, in out of any uh, tough, tough struggles that you're going through. And so, um, just trying to think, I, I, I think like probably like for me, it wasn't really a defining moment, but it's sort of like a, uh, ongoing challenge is, you know, as an entrepreneur, uh, part of what you're really good at is, uh, taking an idea and trying to make it real and building up the resources to make it real. But as your company begins to scale, one of your biggest challenges is to um, is to learn how to be a manager and learn how to like lead a group of people. And so I think for me, the struggle for me, the constant growth for me is the fact that when you're CEO of three people or four people or five people or 25 people uh, or 40 people, your job is quite dramatically different. And so uh, for me, it's been this, this constant struggle to reinvent myself, to grow and to fill the gap that the organization needs me to fill at that particular point in time. And so I think that, that that's really like the challenge that, you know, I've had. Um, and, you know, I, well, it's not like a, like a absolute defining moment for Olark. It's definitely, you know, this ongoing challenge of growing as a leader. Makes total sense. And, and I think, you know, that's, one thing that that kind of connected us, and I think you you, I would I would say you've done a great job as a leader, and I think that's what connected us was one of the actions you took as a leader. Um, for for those people listening who don't know, um, Ben as a CEO one day received from one of his team members, Madeline Parker, an email notifying him he was going she was going to be taking some time off and use some of her sick days for mental health. And uh, with, his, with with some permission, the, the information ended up getting shared around that 
conversation between Madeline and Ben. And uh, it was quite quite interesting. Here we are, tens of thousands of retweet later. you got Time Magazine talking about the CEO whose comments about mental health in the workplace went viral. You, you, you become quite quite a hit around mental health and, and as a leader of an organization and doing that. So first, I want to thank you for, for bringing mental health to the forefront. And secondly, I want to take some time to talk about that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And, uh, you know, for me, it's been quite a, quite a humbling experience, right? Like, uh, I, the basic story is just like what you said, like Madeline, um, you know, has struggled with uh, anxiety and depression. She's been very open about that inside our organization. And uh, it was actually in 2014 when we she first spoke openly about uh, some of the struggles she was facing. And at that time, I was really touched by her bravery, and I realized uh, how it was really hard to put yourself out there. And so when she uh, had sent this email recently, I just wanted to express some gratitude to her for really normalizing mental health within our organization and, you know, the value that I saw in her speaking openly about it. And I think that um, statistics are one way of interacting with mental illness, right? Like the stats say that uh, one in five Americans struggle with mental illness. And I think that a lot of us, if we look around at the people we know in our lives, uh, we'll well, think of people that uh, have struggled with mental illness, that have confided in us, that have talked about some of the challenges they've faced. And uh, it's, a, it's an issue that, that touches all of us. And I think that when you know someone uh, who's going through these struggles, who's facing these challenges, it becomes a lot more real. And I think that what Madeline did in our workplace was to really become that person that people knew that was facing those challenges, that was willing to speak openly about it and to, uh, you know, really open us up to uh, talking about uh, mental health in our in our workplace. And so when I wrote that email to Madeline, um, you know, as I mentioned, I'm constantly growing as a leader, constantly trying to uh, improve um, my leadership skills. Uh, I saw this opportunity to express a lot of gratitude to Madeline. And so I, I wrote, a, you know, a nice heartfelt message to her, really thanking her for her contribution and for creating that conversation within the organization. And to that, uh, you know, I just sent it directly to her, too. I didn't send it to everyone on the team. And she reached out to me a couple of days later and just had said, like, hey, Ben, like, you know, that really meant a lot to me that you had sent that email. Like, would you mind if I took a screenshot of it and tweeted it? And I said, you know what, go for it. Like, yeah, like, I don't really use Twitter, so I was just kind of right. like, yeah, sure, sure, tweet it. You know, post <laughs> on Facebook. Uh Post on Instagram. It's cool. It'll I mean, you know, hopefully a few people will like it. It's a nice note. And, and, then it, and it wasn't, it wasn't, uh, so I actually left, uh, you know, it was, this is before the 1st of July, the weekend before 1st of July. I think she had messaged me on, uh, on Friday. I gave her permission to put a stood up and I uh, was down in LA and when I was flying back, I was checking my email and a friend of mine who was in Sweden, who was visiting Sweden actually sent me an email and said, Hey Ben, you're blowing up on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> and so that was the way I first found out that this was like, oh, wow, this is like a much bigger deal. When I, you know, a friend that I don't talk to very often is shooting me an email telling me about it. Um, and and then, 
Yeah, that, that, that moment like really inspired me to write sort of a follow-up Medium article kind of talking about how I thought it was pretty ridiculous that such a small act of kindness was seen as such like a controversial, uh, you know, out of the ordinary thing, right? And that made me just sort of realize that there's a lot of people out there that are working in places where they have leaders that uh, even if they might support their employees' mental health, uh, they're not being public about it. They're not like helping those people that are facing uh, mental health challenges feel like they have a safe place where they can talk about their issues. Uh, you know, a lot of people will take sick days for mental health, feeling guilty that they're saying like they're not feeling well or feeling guilty that they're saying like, oh, I think I'm coming down with something. Uh, and I think that the real message here is that just that mental health is, is health. And yeah. it's not something weird and different and you know, like it's a very common challenge for for people to run into, and uh, for me, like I I hope that you know we'll live in a future where talking about mental health is as simple as talking about the flu or having a migraine, and it just this feels like just a normal thing that people feel comfortable talking about. And I think there's there are studies that show that uh, you know just the act of feeling guilty about something, the act of feeling bad about something, can really amplify the negative effects of it. And so as uh, so my hope is that really this conversation that I got started will help normalize the conversation around mental health. So at the very least, when someone needs to take a day off for a mental health reason, they won't feel guilty about it. They'll know that they just, that it's the right thing to do to take care of themselves and to like, you know, come back to work when they're feeling good and can bring 100% of themselves to work and not just sort of force themselves to stay there because they feel guilty about taking the time that they need uh, to recover. And when we were talking about, about, about doing this show, I, I, I acknowledge you for, for taking that stand because, you know, there aren't, there aren't a lot of people in the world, let alone in the entrepreneurial or emerging companies, you know, community where that's being done. You know, as I told you, as we were preparing kind of to, to talk today, I did a little, was doing a little, uh, you know, research myself, and, and there are some entertainers and athletes and even royalty. Prince Harry ha- has come out about it, but, you know, you see you see people like Lady Gaga or Selena Gomez or Millie Cyrus or Ellen DeGeneres or Jim Carrey or Halle Berry and Amanda Beard or Dorothy Hamilton or Terry Bradshaw, John Daly, you know, Jerry West, Serena Williams, or, or some of the people that have used their publicity and the celebrity status to really speak about mental health. Once you get past that kind of that level, you don't typically see a lot of in the business world people talking about. There's a few here and there. You know, I, 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 a lot of people will say, well, it could be seen as a sign of weakness. And actually, when you look at the studies, you know, 80% of the of the employees who actually get treated take the time to deal with their mental health. They actually improve their work efficiency. They become better team members. And so, it, 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 you're right. Instead of we, we can figure out a way to remove that stigma that, oh, I should be embarrassed or guilty about having you know, mental health day. Instead, it's actually is better for the individual. It's better for the team, and ultimately, it's better for the the company, the investors, so on and so forth. So, it really can have a really positive impact by by the opposite approach to what most people typically see. Um, is there anything you've seen? Obviously, catering in Zingerman's amazing emails to your employees, <laughs> giving people chances to work virtually. You're you're checking a lot of the boxes that people like to hear, right? 
is is there I mean obviously being in the environment you're in having been able to go to the Y Combinator being alumni out there is there anything that you've seen that that companies are doing to really support I'll say those early stage or emerging companies to overcome some of the obstacles and stigmas around mental health yeah that's a really good question I think that um I mean, I, I can try to speak to that a little bit from personal personal story, right? Like, sure. like I can say that OLAC was not always this company that it is today. I think, like, ultimately, uh, when we started, there was four of us working out of, like, a small house in Palo Alto, and we lived and we worked together. And, it, and there was really no escape, right? So there's conflict. There's always conflict. And, and, you know, the early stages are stressful. There's a lot of nothing's ever perfect and you're, uh, you know, everyone's very passionate. And so I think that uh, through going through this experience where, you know, there's a lot of conflict with co-founders and a lot of, um, you know, just sort of working things out and learning about each other's communication styles and learning about ourselves, um, we sort of ended up just falling into building this company where um, we, realized that uh, being really good at communication and really good at understanding each other uh, and having empathy was just very key. And I think that, you know, that took maybe a couple of years to figure that out, to, to really uh, understand that's what we needed as a company to be successful. And we were building this product to help businesses communicate with their customers. And so um, we've always sort of looked at part of our challenge is to learn how to communicate really well with each other. Uh, and so it was, it was interesting that, that uh, focus on uh, learning how to communicate really good with each other would translate into building this very empathetic, uh, very uh, trusting, uh, very high-performing culture. And so I think that, um, you know, as I look at, like, early-stage companies and I think about a lot of the challenges that they face, like, one of the biggest challenges that we faced was just internal – personal struggle and there's a lot of stress. And so I think that um, uh, the lesson, and, and I guess I, I can speak a little bit uh, to, to something that's built out here in California, but there's a, uh, there's a group called Interspace that was founded by one of the founders of Flickster, this guy named Joe, who's a, a good friend of mine. And um, he, what he's done is he has uh, like weekly founder meditation sessions where people can just sort of stop and reflect and take some time to like really think about what they're going through. Uh, he's brought in uh, speakers uh, uh, to, to sort of help uh, like uh, new founders learn uh, management uh, cause I, and learn uh, self-awareness and learn self-coaching uh, so anywhere from bringing speakers that are talking about uh, negotiation techniques to uh, self-coaching to uh, uh, how to improve your communication with co-founders, um, I, I guess I guess my uh, uh, what I would push sort of young uh, emerging companies to look for those to is to is to realize that in many cases, uh, you know, in the, in the earliest days when you're three, four, eight people and growing in that stage, um, uh, there's probably a lot you can learn about how to uh, structure yourselves and how to think about the challenges you're facing uh, such that you are building a team of people that are very, very committed to your mission. I think it's very easy for there to be kind of like the founders that are very committed 
and then the rest of the team is just kind of there to like, you know, they want to share in the success, uh, but there's like the founders and then there's them. And I think that your goal is in the early stage, uh, early stage uh, co-founders is to create this environment where it's really us, where the founders and the early employees are all in the same boat. Uh, people are feeling uh, psychologically safe. They're willing to talk about uh, the challenges they're facing. And, and I guess like the smallest, uh, probably like uh, the hardest thing to do is to admit that you're not perfect, to admit that you don't know the answer and to really be vulnerable with each other. But uh, it requires a lot of bravery. And I think that's what Madeline did uh, in our organization that's really helped normalize mental health. But you can uh, normalize a lot of challenges that you're facing if you're willing to, to put yourself out there and to be vulnerable. And when you are vulnerable, you help build a sense of cohesion among a group uh, uh, that can create like very, very strong cultures and very, very strong organizations and will ultimately lead to organizations that are more open to helping people deal with challenges like mental health. And I, and I think, you know, the, the best testament I can make to like the value of doing that is that, you know, our, our team uh, has very high retention of employees. Um, I, there's people that have spoken openly about bipolar uh, burnout uh, anxiety uh, and other, you know, mental health challenges. And so, and those people are some of our top performers. They're the kind of people that other companies would try incredibly hard to recruit and bring to the teams. But these are people that, you know, are working for Olar. They're working on, uh, you know, our mission together to, uh, you know, um, to make business human. And so I think that, uh, you know, as a co-founder, as an emerging company, you have a lot of power in creating that environment. So I just want to, like, uh, I don't know, give you an opportunity to do that. I I think that's great insight, and and I I love how you know it's it's it, you know I asked because of your experience in the West Coast, but I think you bring up a good point. It doesn't make a difference where you are in the country, let alone the world. And and while we spend a lot of our time on this talking about emerging companies and, and we talk about early stage companies, I think you bring up a point that, that expands to almost any company. And, and some of the things you said really resonated of the idea of there's got to be a vision and there's got to be some outcomes around that vision that start with the co-founders, start with the leadership and becomes, you know, contagious to everyone involved in a positive way. And I think you spoke a lot to, you made a comment that I'm always learning as a leader and I'm growing, you know, that, that mentality transcends the different people in an organization and which, which really allows for that attitude to be created. And you talked about, I'll use the word emotional intelligence, but that personal development, the ability to be coachable and vulnerable. I, I think you, you hit it right on the head when you're talking about that. You know, at the end of the day, to create a business or to build a team that is investable, that, that can grow and commercialize, there's a certain amount that's the business acumen. you got to have a good idea. you got to you know, be able to have the business strategy in place and the skills. You got to know what you're doing, right? That's kind of given if you're going to be successful, right? But if you really want to make that jump or you really want to go to the next level, what you're just talking about, what we're talking about right now, I think is the secret sauce is the ingredient. I think it's, you know, hearing other people are doing that is, is so supportive and, and of those entrepreneurs that are willing to take that step because those are the ones that, are going to build those organizations, like you said, that can retain talent. 
as today, there's a new startup or there's a, a growing company anywhere around the country or the world that's willing to hire you if you have any kind of talent. So how do you keep that talent? And I think some of it comes with the, the atmosphere. So I, I think you brought up some really good points in that. I yeah, was, I was, absolutely. And I guess I would add just one more point, which is that, like, uh, when you think about, you know, you know, like a war for talent or, like, uh, you know, trying to build a really great culture at your own company that attracts incredible people, uh, one way of looking at that is part of the way that you are compensating the people that work at your company is by providing meaning to what they're doing and, uh, you know, providing a peer group where they feel like they're constantly learning. And so, you know, a lot of people talk about compensation and they think about, oh, you know, stock options and salary. But there's, you know, when someone chooses to work at your company, uh, you know, and I'm sure you're hiring fantastic people to work at your company, like part of what they're joining is that vision that you as a CEO have created. Uh, but part of that is the culture of the organization that you've created. And people are willing to, you know, take lesser pay to work on something that is more meaningful with a group of people that they're more inspired by. You know, we've had uh, you know, an employee who chose not to, uh, you know, commute to New York City from New Jersey, uh, cutting, first of all, he cut down his uh, commute time. Uh, second of all, he got to work with, you know, a group, a team that was very close knit where he felt like, uh, you know, just felt like home to him. And, yeah. uh, and it's and it's hard to put like you know a number on how important it is to, uh, and how uh, sorry how valuable it can be to to build that very strong culture that can attract uh, people who are getting offers for a lot more salary but are being provided with a lot less meaning. You you, and, you bring up it's, it's a great point because compensation what what you know what motivates someone yes it is it's dollars and cents a lot of time but there's a lot of other variables that go into it especially when you start talking about mental health. How many times have you heard a story of someone said, I just couldn't do X anymore, and they left to do Y? Whether it be start a company, you know, do something that was always a hobby to them, whatever it may be. And I think you're absolutely right because it was part money, but it was part so much more. You know, when you look at the the Mental Health of America organization, they were defining what really defines a, a healthy workplace. Or, you know, how do you really know your workplace wellness is there? And they gave 10 items, and I thought they were really good. I'd love to just bring over them real quick. And you touched on most of these. So clearly what you're doing with your organization is spot on. Having a productive atmosphere, having livable wages, having reasonable accommodations, having a health, wellness, and and environment that's supportive, um, open communication, employee accountability, management accountability, work-life balance, clear and positive values and fitness. And, and, and they say when you can have those 10 things, you have wellness in your workplace. And, you know, that, that definitely allows for people to have mental wellness and mental health, which, as you said, you, you provide those things, that's worth more than dollars and cents a lot of the time for people. And so it's such an important part. I think for a lot of the people who are listening, they're worried about how am I going to be able to attract talent. you got to give them, a, you know, a livable wage. That, that's obviously needed, you know. That's a key point. But there's nine other variables that can lead to attracting talent. And I don't think any of those, say, have a ping-pong table or a Slurpee machine. So it's something more than that, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure. And I would also add on maybe an 11th would be psychological safety. I think, like, when you create a place where people are willing to talk about the challenges that they're having, uh, it will give you a lot more visibility 
into management account uh, accountability and give you a lot more visibility into, uh, you know, how to build wellness programs. I think there's a one. I think you know you can think of yourself like as a leader of organization. It's very easy to be blind and to not have full information because it's also very easy for people to not feel comfortable talking about some of the challenges they're facing. And you know that's when you you know notice employees leaving without knowing why, uh, without a lot of notice and stuff like that. It's just like people don't feel uh, you know that you have their best interest in mind then. Uh, they probably aren't going to have your best interest in mind either. Absolutely, I, mean, I think I think that results in you know under productivity if the people stay. If they don't stay, obviously it leads to a higher attrition rate. And I think you know those come back to like you said that there's just not communication there. There's not a trust there. If you are having a bad day or you're having an issue, you're not going to go ask someone. You're either going to sit on it or you're not going to deal with it. And all those things just they're a recipe for unproductivity and bad culture, in my opinion. Yeah, for sure. So I, I you know, I, I, again, I want to thank you for, for taking the time to come on. I know, I know this isn't necessarily when you sent that email in late June, that was when you, you, you didn't think it was going to turn into what it has, but I, you've, you've been a, almost a spokesperson of sorts and you've really brought this to the forefront, especially for the entrepreneurial community. And, and so I want to really thank you for what you have done you know, the article you've written and all the all the exposure you've given to this issue as it is a big issue. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. And thank you so much for having me on. I think the thing that I've realized uh, having been sort of thrown out there as an example of, you know, a, like a good boss or whatever, it's been just, it's, it's been a very humbling, very humbling experience because I think that it's like a lot of us as managers and leaders uh, spend you know, could spend our entire lives just, you know, uh, looking inward and really making an impact on the people around us. And I think that is incredibly meaningful. Uh, and so for me, like the fact that you could take this small act of gratitude, this, this email I wrote, it was really just aimed to like, you know, brighten Madeline's day and show her how much I cared that she was, uh, you know, helping normalize mental health in our organization. And it turned into something that, uh, led to an international conversation around mental health and mental wellness. And so uh, I guess for all you guys out there, I would just never underestimate the impact that you can have on the world and really, you know, think about expressing gratitude to the people around you and think about building these psychological safe places to work. Because what you'll find out is uh, when your employees and your team and you can bring your entire selves to work, you will uh, get higher performance. Uh, you will uh, enjoy your work more. And uh, I think, and I believe this very strongly, you will ultimately be more successful. And so I think for me, a lot of the way I look at this is just this is, this is OLARC's path to success. This is you know, how we're building our company. Uh, you know, and, and I think there's a lot of other companies out there that could benefit from uh, uh, you know, really, really looking to their employees and figuring out how to empower their employees to bring their most high performance selves to work. And so, uh, yeah, I'm excited, excited to be on and uh, excited to see what uh, what you guys do in your companies. I, I appreciate it and look forward to hearing some feedback from our listening audience on, on what they got, not only this, but how they're able to take this message back to their organizations. Then I, I want to thank you once again for coming on the show. And although although she's not on the show with us. I, I got to thank Madeline for her foresight 
to want to put it out there because before her putting that tweet out there, you and I probably wouldn't have connected. So thank you to Madeline if she is listening. And, and you know, one last thing is some people are wondering where they can get more information. As I denoted, you and I aren't necessarily experts in this, but we're just having a nice conversation. January is Mental Health Wellness Month. And also coming up October 2nd through the 8th is Mental Illness Awareness Week. Um, and so there's a couple of ways to get involved, to get the message out there, to take some time to bring this, this message to your business, your organization, and learn a little more about it because it's not something that's going away and, and it's something that should be addressed. So once again, uh, with that, I want to thank you so, so much for coming on, Ben, and I appreciate your time. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you for taking a look back with me at some of the relevant conversations we've had over the past couple years across the entrepreneurial ecosystem and the investable world. As always, check out the Be Investable podcast latest episodes here on iTunes. And also look for some of my blog posts on the Michigan Business Network. Thank you.